0: Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner, the Friday edition of 2 for 1 Drafts. We're going to cover the top NFL draft prospects at every position. You recently tweeted out that will be on the big board that PFF releases on Monday. How much flack have you received on Twitter for tweeting that out so far? Or most people are agreeing with what you got.
1: It seems I don't think any of our top, top guys are too controversial. Like uh, maybe interior line is probably our hottest take, which we'll get to if you follow the pot at all. You probably know who it is, but uh, like, I think the very top guy doesn't seem to be much of a hot take. Now, get a little further down the board, you get a little saucy, but this is just going to focus on the number one guys at each position.
0: Gotcha. All right. Well, we'll do that. We also got interviews. I sat down with Christian Fulton. LSU cornerback, Antoine Winfield Jr. of Minnesota, and Alex Highsmith, the edge defender from Charlotte. I'll say this, Antoine Winfield Jr. is a super smart dude. It was great to talk to him. He's a very energetic guy. Talked about the influence his dad has had on him, his instincts, how those have developed. Christian Fulton, a little bit short and sweet. It was hard to get him to open up a bit, but something that I found interesting, you'll hear this later, but he said at practice. Nobody talks more trash than LSU's defensive backs. But in games, no one talks trash to us because we're the best in college football. And I thought that was very interesting. He, t- he keeps it close to the vest unless he's with you know the, did, the LSU guys. And go ahead.
1: Did he tell you which one the re- real DBU is? Are they the real he DBU? He's not. Texas. I didn't
0: ask because I felt like it was a leading question. <laughs> but uh, he he also said that Derek Stingley, awesome, but also a, a very quiet guy as well. It's hard to get get the tiger out of him. But and then Alex Highsmith, smart dude as well, hammers home that like walk on mentality, um, bl- you know, bl- blue collar, lunch pail type that I think teams will really like having as a depth piece. He's excited to get NFL coaching. He's excited to work with a veteran at the next level because I do think. Um, he he wants to get better and he knows he can. So he was a good interview as well. But let's get into this best. I would hope rant. he wants to get
1: better. I would you hope You know
0: what? Renner I hate you. So. <laughs> I, I do. I honestly do. But let's he wants to decrease process.
1: his skills over the course of this offseason. What's interesting what? about
0: this prospect is he actually wants to get better in the NFL, which I found very interesting. Can't wait for you guys to listen to that interview. Um, I suck. Anyway, <laughs> moving forward to uh, best draft best draft prospects at every position, starting with the quarterback position. It's universal. PF PFF has Joe Burrow, number one overall. We're going to walk through who Daniel Jeremiah, the NFL Network analyst, has, and also Dane Brugler, the Athletic uh, analyst, has, who just recently released his draft guide, The Beast, which is fantastic. PFF raves about, raves about its draft guide. Go grab Dane's, too. Support him because that thing is awesome. Subscribe to The Athletic to get access to that. We're actually going to have him on the show to talk about that next week, so stay tuned. But Friends between yep. Friends of the pod, between PFF, Daniel Jeremiah, and Dane Brugler, everyone is on the Joe Burrow hype train, and I couldn't agree more.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you don't have Joe Burrow at the top, if you created a ranking, watched all college football, watch all these quarterbacks, and you put any other quarterback at the top, you don't, I question if you know what the hell you're looking at. I question if you know football. Like there, There is no reason whatsoever to put anyone else... Yes, there are legitimate concerns. Yes, there are legitimate criticisms. I'm fine with that. I am not fine with saying that at this moment in time, knowing what we know, you would put any other quarterback in number one. I just you can't.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's everything. You know, I, I can't even you know, the argument that like he only has one year of significant success, I feel like we make that excuse about every top quarterback in every draft. It's like, oh man, you've only seen him really do it for one year. It's like, yeah, like that's how it usually works. I mean, yeah. Kyler Murray, you talk, I mean, Baker Mayfield was a bit of an outlier, but Dwayne Haskins one year, but had significant su- success at Ohio State. Like these guys normally have like one year where they really send it. And Joe Burrow really did send it. He was one of the most accurate quarterbacks PFF has ever seen in the college era, dating back to when we first started grading college players in 2014. Not
1: I mean, one, there uh, are not. He was the... the-
0: The most accurate, especially on those throws, 10-plus air yards down the football field. I like what he can do outside of structure, even though that's maybe not as predictive or as valuable as clean pocket play. But what he does under pressure, what he does outside of structure is also fantastic. I I really do like Joe Burrow. I I don't even think we have to talk about it much more.
1: (laughs) Well, and you always bring up he's accurate on 10-plus yards and whatever. But under 10-plus yards, he was also the most accurate. Like we talked about the downfield stuff because that's usually what matters the most. He was also the most accurate just anywhere you wanted to slice it. And we talked with, uh, gosh, what's his name to you, who's training with him and some other wide receivers or was before maybe the quarantine hit. Uh, and he said the quarterbacks that were there and training with him are all like, how, how is this guy so accurate? Like no one can, he is on a different level than either any, even guys who are playing and training to be in the NFL. And yeah,
0: I mean t- the way TJ Hushmanzada described him to us was like, man, this guy's just insane. Like, like he just had no similar to where we are right now in the pre-draft process. There's just we're out of adjectives on how to describe just how accurate Joe Burrow is, how good he is throwing the yeah. football. Number one player, number one player in this class, number one quarterback in this class, hands down. Let's go yeah, to the I, running back.
1: I, oh, I was just gonna go say, ahead. I dropped quarterback superlatives, and I've been dropping like superlatives throughout the week, which is like you know biggest arm most accurate, and he won, I think so he won most accurate, he won best deep ball, he won most fun to watch and he won one more, like he was he was like the superlative, right? Like if you're looking for the best at certain things in this class, pretty much everything uh, he brings it to the table.
0: All right, we're going to jump to running back here. There's a little bit more differing opinions at the running back position. Right now, PFF has DeAndre Swift, the the Georgia running back at number one uh, at that position. Daniel Jeremiah is on that side with us. He also has DeAndre Swift there. But Dane Brugler, J.K. Dobbins, who's had – comps to Ray Rice at times which I think is a good comp for him but I think it's an interesting running back class I wouldn't say a particularly great one because I mean we've talked about this before the difference between DeAndre Swift who's probably going to go I mean very well could go in the first round which would be absurd but the difference between DeAndre Swift who will go probably in rounds one or two and like a guy like Clyde Edwards Hilaire or Antonio Gibson of Memphis like is not that significant and for that reason it's just hard to value even our favorite running back in this class is a round one pick.
1: Yeah, there's so actually, I, I disagree that it's not a great class. I think there are about seven guys you can win with out the gate. Like I think there's seven legit guys that are talented, uh, in and they are obviously DeAndre Swift, you know, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers, Zach Moss, and then I'd even throw uh, Antonio Gibson in there. And then there's one guy I'm forgetting who I'm an idiot for forgetting. Um, am I forgetting someone? Or am I just an idiot? Know?
0: I think you me, might just be an idiot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, there are seven guys that I think you can win with at the top of this class. And that's why we keep saying don't draft one round one because you're going to get one of those seven most likely in round three or round four. So, But I do think DeAndre Swift, when he brings to the table in the passing game, is very valuable. I, the Dobbins take is interesting to me, though, that Bruegler has because I, I'm not sure I've seen anyone else be like J.K. Dobbins running back one. Like J.K. Dobbins seems like a guy that everyone kind of universally likes, but no one's ready to call and put a pin in and be like, he is the best guy in this draft class. I certainly am not. But uh, that one's an interesting take to me because I just think DeAndre Swift does a lot of similar things, but it's just more explosive in the past game.
0: I'm going to counter that you disagree with this running back, pl- running back class being good because you can win with seven and that you could probably win with 15, 20, because it, it just, I mean, they, they're, the position's very similar. I mean, you're just getting replaceable value across the board. I mean, until you get into, like, the A.J. Dillons of the world, like, I feel like you're still going to be getting a plus athlete at this position. Like, Raymond Calais is a guy that deep down draft boards, I think, can offer value, like, similar like, Raheem Moster, and that he has good track speed and stuff like that. This running back class is good, but, like, it's bad because they're all good and they're all kinda of, I don't know. It's an interesting I discussion. I, Bring it.
1: I don't think though that down the board there are there's a lot of great talent in terms of like uh you know, like the last year we saw we said who is your boise state boy? Like that you would Alexander love. Madison. Alexander exactly. Madison. Like day three guys. There were a number of day three guys were like, Yo, you grab this guy on day three, very close to what you're getting in, you know, round two with uh, the Penn State guy who, God, I cannot think of a name right now. Miles Sanders, life. you Miles fucking Sanders. piece
0: of shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know where they all went to school. I know where they went in the NFL. I just don't remember their names. But I, we were saying, you know, that group is where you want to be taken from, the later group. This one, I think you want the top group because I think the guys later on, the Michael P. Rines of the world, the DJ Dallas's, Darrington Evans, and Anthony McFarlane's, I don't think they're close to this top group. Like that top yeah. group. Yeah.
0: You 70, just named four of my 70. least favorite running backs in this class. <laughs> at all um so i, do I don't do think- know i just always advise against going after the top at this running back group because I, I guess i always find myself it's like you you said this before but like if you need a running back you want to grab one of the guys in the top seven top 10 but like wh- which teams need this running back you know why not you know draft other positions yeah. of higher value anyway let's move the, off running the, back it's the one really guy problem. we
1: didn't really touch though that everyone seems to be like that uh, the fancy community is all over oh, that's running- right jonathan taylor who we just i i don't I don't see the dynamic space player there. I get that his testing was off the charts. And like when he's in the open field, he is fast, but like one-on-one guy in the hole. I just don't think he wins that matchup enough for me to, or one-on-one guy, you know, in the flat to me, he just doesn't win that matchup enough that I'm, that I'm going to get on board with him as a running back one. Deandre Swift wins that matchup. Like Zach Moss wins that matchup, even though he's not particularly fast. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire wins that matchup. Jonathan Taylor, I feel really good about his projection, you know, running NFL running concepts. I just don't think he's dynamic enough to covet, you know, above all the, these guys on the board.
0: There are definitely guys that are better one on one with a guy in the hole. I would say that for sure. Uh, moving to that was your position.
1: specialty. You're still
0: in <laughs> tight end position. Let's jump there. Uh, PFF high on Hunter Bryant. The Washington tight end, he's the number one tight end right now. DJ has Cole Komet, the Notre Dame tight end, and Dame Brugler, Adam Troutman of Dayton. I think what that speaks to is just how bad this tight end class is. Because I mean, all three of those guys are you know near. Repl- I mean, I, again, it just you pick your pick who you want at that position. It's more like scheme fit, what you want to do at the tight end position, what role do you want him to play? Because like all of them, I don't think we have a single tight end higher than sixty five on PFF's board. And I think for that reason, you're going to see differing opinions on who you take first.
1: Yeah, so that's that's the thing. This so tight end and interior offensive line are the two positions where just like all over the map in terms of who's tight end 1 for certain people. Like I've seen Hunter Bryant, Cole Kmet, Adam Thraulman, uh Perdue's Bryson Hopkins and FAU's Harrison Bryant all be tight end 1 for, you know, different people. Like they, uh, people have all had them as tight end 1. I've actually even seen Thaddeus Moss, who I don't like at all, as tight end 1 for different people. Like this the evaluations of this tight end class are all over the map, but I think you hit the nail on the head. It's because there's none of these guys really go above and beyond the call of duty at the position. Like none of them really tick a lot of the boxes. So all of them have like massive, massive deficiencies for us. Like our top guy, Hunter Bryant. I mean, it's kind of like tight end in name only. He looks more like a wide receiver. And then he didn't test like a wide receiver, which is kind of like that scary dynamic that, Oh, you don't want that guy. Uh, Like that might not translate to the NFL. Troutman level of competition, not very fast in a straight line, ran the four eights. Cole Komet, the dude does not run routes that aren't like in a straight line. So I watching him, Cole Komet, I was never like, oh man, Cole Komet, like he's making plays out there. And then he gets this draft type and we've talked about this before, but then the number that I point to, that I'll point to on draft day and continually point to about Cole Komet that scares the hell out of me is that his yards per route run over the course of his career against man coverage is 0.78 which means he is not beating My man. He is not like he was not beating. How many man snaps is that? Ever. How many snaps? That was well, it was over 200 in his career. Oh, really? Oh, wow. That's, man, that was not a small sample size. Yeah. I went back and looked, it was not insignificant there. Him,
0: so. Specifically with tight ends and slot receivers, looking at their, you know, their advanced stats and production against man is so important because those two positions play a ton against off zone and trying to find spaces in zone, which aren't always reflective on how well can you get open, more so like what you can do after the catch and those things. But very interesting stuff there. And I think we talk about the tight end position being lower on in terms of positional value. I don't think we brought up enough though that like Tight ends rarely pan out early in their careers as well. So like I think I find it funny when you see teams like need to t- draft a tight end on day 1, day 2. It's like are you serious? Like how often do tight ends in their, you know, first set set first or second years in their career really produce at a high level? It just does not happen, especially not with this tight end class.
1: And that's why I didn't hate on the Falcons. Everyone's kind of roasting the Falcons for trading a second rounder for uh, hey, another guy's name's gave me Hayden yeah, Hurst. Hey, there we go. So trading a second rounder for him. Now, some of that was obviously skewed by the Deandre Hopkins going for a similar pick, but like, I couldn't hate on it because you're getting a tight end. Who's like your three is your prime when you should be entering your prime as a tight end. Like that's when everything okay. should be. And he's already up. what? He 38, numb.
0: 39 years old. Yeah. So he's like already in there. his late
1: twenties. <laughs> that's his prime. Uh, and like, he's already, you, you like skip those years that tight end like takes a little bit to develop and takes a little bit to acute uh, you know, uh, acclimate to the NFL. So there
0: I, are I'm some sure teams though fun. that fully understand that there are some teams that fully understand like, Hey, taking tight ends early compared to like dra- like bringing in in free agency, like veteran tight ends, like Jared cook, Greg Olson, Mercedes yeah. Lewis, like these guys, like there are teams that are like, Hey, like if we want, help at tight end, you're going to need to go either trade one or bring one in and and fancy if you actually want production next year. Because like rookie tight ends just rarely, rarely ever pan out into being really productive players early in their careers. All right. Jumping to wide receiver. I expected a universal play here. I thought it was going to be Jerry Judy across the board, but PFF, the only one of the three analysts we have here on Jerry Judy as the top receiver in this class, Daniel Jeremiah and Dane Brugler, both have CeeDee Lamb. CeeDee Lamb, however, was PFF's top receiver for some time. You made the switch to Jerry Judy takeover over and i'm on the jerry judy train with you but talk to me about the difference between these two receivers and why maybe you see dj and brugler having them as the top
1: yeah so i think the physical aspect of of judy versus lamb like lamb is more physically opposed he's a little stronger of a player that you feel safer about when translating to the nfl that that's going to work out and the grades on them like on Gail and Jeremiah's board, it's ninth and 11th. Both have first-round grades on Brugler. She doesn't break it down any further than that, but I think they're pretty close on his board as well. So it's not, like, there, the, there's not a massive difference besides I just think Jerry Judy's route-running ability is different than anything I've seen. So yeah. I'm going to lead Jerry Judy because I think that's yeah. more important, whereas, like, you, you can think that the, the physical aspect of translating to the NFL might be more important.
0: Something I haven't asked you about actually, but I, I see this come up and I kind of agree with it. But like the Calvin Ridley comp to Jerry Judy, like a more juiced up version of Calvin Ridley. What's your opinion of that?
1: I think both have like similar pros and cons. Now, Judy was like a lot younger coming out than Calvin Ridley. I mean, I think Judy is the same age Ridley was as like a freshman there at Alabama.
0: Well, I forgot about how much <laughs> hated on Calvin Ridley's age, age. coming out. I, I mean, um, it's, it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. And, and I just think he's a little like, craft here like Ridley was a very good route runner and I still don't think he holds a candle to what Judy was coming out Judy is coming out
0: all right let's press forward here move to the offensive tackle class this one where there's three different guys across the three analysts here PFF has Andrew Thomas as the top offensive tackle and I will say this Andrew Thomas is in PFF's top offensive tackle pretty much throughout this entire process and that goes into you know he's not the same level athlete as Wills and worse and maybe even not back when you go pound for pound but what he brings to the table from a production standpoint, still a young player, improved his grade every year of his career, earned high pass blocking grades as a true freshman starting at right tackle for Georgia in the SEC. He's PFF's top guy. DJ has Mekhi Becton, the monster that is Mikai Becton, and Bruegler has Jedrick Wills Jr. of Alabama. I'll say this, and I know you'd agree with me as well. I could be convinced as Jedrick Wills is tackle one over Andrew Thomas more so than I could be convinced as Becton is tackle one.
1: Yeah, that's a fair take. But like you see it. You see it with Beckton. I'm not I'm not gonna be like, oh man, he's forty-fifth on our board. What the hell are you doing? You know, putting him as OT1. No, you you see why you can fall in like it's very easy to fall in love. The high level is absurd. Like you see Orlando, it's it's traits that don't come around uh, like people say generational. He truly has generational traits. Like to be that big, that athletic, uh, you know, have those sort of skills that he possesses, those physical tools that he possesses hasn't happened since like brian mckinney hasn't happened since like orlando pace like those are the guys he he compares to as an athlete the thing is like brian mckinney didn't allow a sack in college and uh, you know so mckay beckton has has allowed a handful i think he's allowed five and allowed a few this past season uh and so over the course of his career just pass protection has been the issue and so we're just going to be risk averse to guys who haven't shown it quite yet at the college level and so That's where we're at. But again, you see it with Becton. And if you tell me he's going to be the best in this group, I wouldn't doubt it. But to me, offensive line, offensive tackle especially, is a consistency position. It is not a high end. It is not a what you can do at the high end position. you look at Mitchell Schwartz, probably the best right tackle in the NFL. He is not a high end rep sort of guy. He is not crushing pancakes there on the right side for the Chiefs. He is not you know, dominating guys physically snap after snap. What he is doing is controlling his block, is not letting a guy get away from him snap after snap. It is a consistency position, not a dominance position, in my opinion.
0: We, we talked to Duke Manyweather recently, the man behind o- o- OL Masterminds. He trained both Mekhi Becton and Josh Jones throughout this pre-draft process and raved about Becton for obvious reasons, said he could be a future all-pro at the next level. But what he also spoke to is just the level of coaching that Mekhi Becton got at Louisville and how he still is improving and thinks he can get so much better with better coaching in the NFL. We've had this discussion off-air, but I'd be interested to know, like, what's your opinion of that? Like like uh, actual good – because you talk about all the time, like, offensive line is a skill – position. You need to understand technique. You need to improve technically to be good at that position. What's your opinion of Mekhi Becton getting better in the NFL with proper technique and other guys as well?
1: Yeah. So that's what you want to hear. Like from a prospect, you want to hear not just, he needs, he wants to get better. Like you said at the top here that like he's putting it, (laughs) he's, he's not just wants to, that he's putting it in and that he's doing Mm -hmm. it and that once he got better coaching this past season, he looked like a different player. And and that like his great vastly improved. Uh, in our system. So that's all very good. And that's, there's just still like a ways to go from there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like there's still just, he, he got that good coaching finally took to it. He's gotten a lot better, but he's still got so much further to go to be there than a guy like Andrew Thomas, than a guy like Jedrick Wills, guy like Tristan worse. That's just, that's just that.
0: I I will say this too, and I've mentioned this before, in addition to wanting to get better at the next level, which I can understand sounds moronic because every player should, I also bring up sometimes about players that do have like freakish tools like Mekhi Becton, Jedrick Wills, worse, uh, but have the capacity or the ability to get better from like between the ears standpoint, like smart enough to take feedback, smart enough to implement Mm -hmm. feedback and work on getting better because you'll talk to guys that – or toolsy prospects that need to improve at the next level, but maybe they don't have the wit or the, you know, the, the mental processing to like get that much better in the NFL. Like I roast can use those dumbass college
1: prospects. Not, off.
0: not, not yeah. roasting anyone specifically. I'm not name dropping, <laughs> but you can talk to prospects that need to improve significantly, but maybe have been a ton of God given talent but don't have that mental capacity or like that discipline, maturity, whatever it may be to actually get better at the next level. I bring up like Damon Arnett, for example, as a guy where Chris Carter flat out told him you're not ready for the NFL. You need to grow up. You need to treat it like a business decision. It's those guys that maybe have all these tools are just freaks. When you, when you look at them from a pound for pound athletic standpoint, but maybe don't have that capacity like mentally to actually get better, take feedback from coaches, et cetera.
1: And, And I always, this is like a big ass tangent that we're going on, but I always like, I'm wary of the guys who like never had to develop a technique. Like they're so athletic yes, and yes. I like go back to gosh, I, I don't want to roast him more. Cause he actually blocked me on Twitter, but Rashawn Gary, like he, he never had developed technique. You watch his high school tape and he just like jumps off the line and is in the backfield. Like, yes. Some guys when you're there, what
0: about, what about like early career clowning? Like, I mean, like, I yeah, feel like 20, that. Yeah, it's like a, a wrecking ball, his entire career to a point where like at a position where skill and technique matters, never had to learn it. Like le- legit, like never had to be a skilled player. I mean, Kinlaw in a way dominated without legit technique, but you talk to him and you quickly find out. Like he has that ability to improve at the next level. He has that mental capacity, that demeanor, that motivation to really, really improve in the NFL. We're getting off on a tangent. Let's keep moving through the best by position here. Interior offensive line different across the board. PFF, Natani Muti of Fresno State. We've been on Mooti since the, you know, the dawn of time, it feels like, talking about his YouTube highlight reel, talking about how just freaky this guy is from a size, strength, and athleticism standpoint. Dale Jeremiah has Cesar Ruiz, who you've come around on. I think he was lower on our board before the Senior Bowl, right around there, but it came up a bit when you were viewing the tape again. And Brugler, probably the most surprising one, Lloyd Cushenberry of LSU, the top interior offensive lineman in this class. I find that kind of insane.
1: I can get on board with Ruiz very much. Love him as prospect. He's actually very, he's like really close. The top three interior linemen on our board are within six spots. I want to say from like 37 to 43. So they're, they're real tight, but man, the Lloyd Cushenberry one to me, I don't want to call it day now, but he was early in on Lloyd Cushenberry and he had a great, uh, was a red shirt sophomore campaign, red, like whatever it was back in 2018. He looked good then real tough fear this year. Took it on the chin a little this year. And Brugler liked him after that, after last year. And I think he's sticking to that eval despite this year being a little rougher. I'm, I'm a little, little, I'm a little more hesitant to get on board after what we saw from him on tape this past season, just in pass protection, the quicks, the sort of like lateral agility you want in pass protection, not quite there. And, And that's not at the center position, not the biggest deal, but you know, again, us here at PFF looking at pass pro over everything Run game, whatever. That's a that's a distant second in terms of what we're looking at. Uh, I'm gonna I'm just gonna be worried about that guy who struggled with quicker defensive tackles in pass protection.
0: Yeah, right now on PFF's board, the final board being released on Monday, um, Damian Lewis is higher on our board than Lloyd Cushenberry, the other the yeah. other LSU interior offensive lineman, a guy I really fell in love with at the senior bowl, both through talking to him and also just watching this dude work in one-on-ones. I mean, this guy is a monster in the middle, phone booth type that will maybe struggle to move laterally, but like you're not going through this, kid, just simply not. All right, moving to defensive interior, this is where I think you're sticking your neck out there a little bit. I mean, all of PFF really is. I mean, we had the call recently with Steve, myself, and a couple other analysts were ready to move Javon Kinlaw, the South Carolina defensive tackle, up the board to the top defensive tackle in this class, while Daniel Jeremiah and Dame Brugler and probably everyone else has Derek Brown as the top defensive tackle.
1: Dude, he's just, the things he can do physically are better than the things Brown can do if for, for making an impact at the NFL level rushing the passer. That's just, that's flat out it. Like, And he's done it better you know, over the last two years. He's graded out better as a pass rusher. So, same conference, same level of competition. Give me the dude that give just give me Kenlaw. Now he's not as sure of the thing in the run game, but you know what? I can go sign uh, I can go sign a guy tomorrow off the street. I can go sign Damon Harrison tomorrow off the street if I really want run defense. I'm not going to use a top 15 pick to improve my run defense. I'm going to do that to chase a guy like Javon Kenlaw.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm with you there, man. And also like bringing up, you know, like the replaceability of run defense, like I understand, like after talking to you really and, and learning more about like getting big dudes that can two gap and like Michael Pierce, Brandon Williams, Damon Harrison, Derek Brown types that can really anchor a defense in the run really helps off ball linebackers can allow you to be more creative on the back end of your defense like that has value. Does it have more value though than a guy that can do like what Chris Jones does on passing plays in terms of creating pressure and creating havoc up front? I argue no, and I think that's a big reason why Javon Kinlaw had a Derek Brown here. All right, these next three positions are all the same. Like everyone's got the same guy. And I don't think there's a lot of argument. Let's speed through these. And I think a better question for these three guys would be compare them to previous draft classes. Talk about them in ranks with other draft classes, like where you really see these players over the past four or five years, starting with edge defender, chase young, every analyst, Daniel Jeremiah, Brugler, PFF, hopefully everyone else chase young, number one edge defender in this class.
1: Yeah, this one. So I talked about Joe Burrow. If you had someone else above Joe Burrow, QB, I tried that question. Uh, you know, if you know the game, if you have anyone else about Chase Young at the edge, I question like your sanity. I question if like you, if you know what's going on in real life right now. If you can like, if you're not legally blind, or yeah, you could be legally blind and still definitely know that Chase Young is the best edge defender in this draft class. That's just how good he is. The dude, one, he is. And again, you you said to put this in context he's the best edge prospect we have seen at BFF. We saw Miles Garrett, we saw Joey Bosa, we saw Nick Bosa. We saw who else was one of our top guys. That was, eh, who was who were the other years, Josh Allen. Nah, we, we saw all the guys last some from the 2015 draft on. We saw Vic Beasley. He's better than Vic Beasley. He's better than all those guys. He is unquestionably uh, the top non quarterback in this draft.
0: All righty, man. I, I mean, Chase, you compare him to Miles Garrett, you compare him to like other guys we've talked about in the class. I mean, he's up there, if not the better one for sure. All right. Uh, linebacker Isaiah Simmons, the Clemson off-ball linebacker, safety hybrid. Where are you when you stack him up against other off-ball linebackers in previous draft
1: classes? That This one's tough because like still the best linebacking prospect, I think I saw. Scooby right. Yeah. <laughs> Stop, <laughs> my boy! Don't hate on him. Sam. Wanted oh, I can't even say Sam wanted Scooby right in the first back in the day. Stop. Those were no. those were dark days. Alongside but alongside Miles Garrett and Mark
0: Hursley, or not Miles Garrett, Miles Burris and Mark Herslick or what Bobby, are we
1: talking? Bobby Slowick had to talk him off the ledge. He's like, dude, this guy's not going to play down. um to say that? Oh, back to linebacker prospects. The guy who's the best, and again, for some reason, I can't think of any names right now today. Freaking horrible. Tragedy. This is bad. I have one of these every year. I had one last year. I'm having one this year. Linebacker from Alabama. Um, give it to me. Bad. Oh,
0: um, I know who you're talking about. Reuben, Reuben, Reuben Foster. Ruben
1: Foster. His tape was better at linebacker than Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons, a freak. Ruben Foster was definitely awesome. a better athlete. Ruben Foster. Who was the was
0: off-ball less. linebacker who played for Alabama before Ruben Foster and like drafted before? Who was that? Was that CJ Mosley? Reggie Probably Reggie. was.
1: Reggie Ragland was right before.
0: Oh, okay. But like, I remember like people were hyping up Reggie Aglin. Then you turn on yeah. his tape and see yeah. Ruben Foster. I think he was wearing number 10 in Alabama. Like, who is this guy? Because <laughs> This yeah. guy's blowing it up.
1: Um, he was funny. the best linebacker. Like I've seen at the college level in recent years, probably like since like Keekley He just, he saw everything. Everything was happening. You know, the game it, talking about like the game moving f- slowly for him. He just, he was moving at a different speed and processing stuff. So he was the best I've seen. But next on that list, Probably going to be Isaiah Simmons.
0: I remember you tweeted out when Ruben Foster was still playing uh, for the the Niners in like 2018, him just getting back on a hook and cover three. And it's just like, what? Like, you just don't see that. You don't see that.
1: Yeah. So it was like a play action pass. And he's got, like you said, yeah, the hook and cover three. So like right in the middle, he's got a zone. And you see him turn around like right after like one step forward, turn around and sprint. Not like not at a guy sprint to the spot where he knows the ball is going to be like, and that, and then like is sprinting on a dead straight line, like no curve, no, 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 angle or whatever to his route. No, like change of direction at any point looks back, breaks it up. Like, and if he didn't take the route he did, if he didn't like do everything perfectly, it's an easy money, you know, deep crosser for 20 plus yards. But like, it's just a play that you don't see get made ever. Yeah. And he, he made plays like that.
0: I mean, end zone angle, all twenty-two. This guy has his back to the line of scrimmage, sprinting at the crosser, like, like
1: maybe a second
0: into the play. Like, oh man, it's just absurd. uh, And those are kind of the
1: things, though, that you do worry about. Isaiah Simmons is that you don't you don't see those, like you don't processing
0: right. You don't see the processing.
1: I'm just saying, like you you have those aren't on his tape. Like you don't because the position he played, like he's deep safety. Like he's not in a role where if you throw him at linebacker, when you do see a play action like that how is he going to react because he's never done it before? That sort of thing is the worry with him. Now he has a little more leeway in that he might not need to take that direct route because he's so damn explosive and so fast. But I do think that there is some legitimate concern about how he'll react once he is in the, you know, between the tackles, the majority of snaps.
0: All righty. Let's jump to cornerback. Everyone, Dane Brugler, Daniel Jeremiah, and also I would say a lot of analysts as well. Jeffrey Okuda, the Ohio state cornerback, is the top cornerback in this class, a top five, top 10 type of player in this class. I went back and watched more of his tape because I wanted to watch Jalen Rager in 2018 against him. And like, dude, this guy was so good at a young age, technically like processing and understanding route moments and those things. Like he got thrown to the dogs when I think it was Sheffield who was getting kind of burned by Rager. He comes in like just how he, you know, how he positions himself and like understanding alignment and assignment. And then you find out he's built in a lab to play the position, athletic, all the size, all the length. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I Chase Young's great. Joe Burrow's great. Like, there's a lot of good players in this class at the top end. But, like, Jeffrey Akuda is right there, man. He is, he is very, very good.
1: Yeah. That's the thing that I, I think has almost been, I don't want to say lost well, because people have said it, but like, Akuda at the cornerback position is very. Is a lot closer to you know as a prospect that to Chase Young as as you know being elite and almost can't miss in that regard because of his physical tools because of what we've seen from already on the field than a lot of people have like led on like everyone's like saying oh it's Chase Young no brainer I think it's a little bit more of a nuanced sort of debate between those two with how just how good both of them are.
0: Yeah, I don't think enough has been said about, you know, and Sam Monson has said it a bit. I've seen others have the take as well about Jeffrey Okuda ahead of Chase Young when you're valuing coverage versus pass rush when you're looking at like how he can impact the game. But like there is definitely a conversation to be had because he is that that good. All right. Last one here. And we actually have differing opinions here. PFF. On Grant Delpit, I remember you texted me, I want to say like a little over a month ago, I think we were still hanging out at bars and things. You said, wow. I don't think we're high enough on Grant Delpit. I, yeah. I know the missed tackles are a problem. I think we, we've we been talking about Grant Delpit's missed tackles since 2018, but you said we're not high enough on him because of the splash plays he can make in coverage, the instincts, the processing, the range on the back end. And he's our top safety in the class. While Daniel Jeremiah and Brugler have Xavier McKinney, the safety, uh, um, the Alabama safety.
1: Yeah, he's just good at anything you ask him to in coverage grant help it besides tackling if you ask him tackling coverage, he's not good at that I was about but to say. <laughs> good, good at good at the actual covering of you know receivers and tight ends and running backs sort of thing and staying and being close to them when the ball's headed towards their way he's very good at those things not the not the you know ball in a receiver's hand thing so he's just real smooth uh he's it's pretty physical. I I don't think, you know, like for as not physical as his tackling is, he can be physical in coverage. And he's just like another guy who just sees the game. Like Jamal Adams was not a freak of nature athletically by any means, but saw the game. Like he's a guy who saw the game, processed it and like attacked just differently than other people. And that to me, Delpit sees the game, not on the, not on the same level as Jamal Adams, but just like, he know, like he sees coverage and, and, is very good at when, knowing when to react and when to break on things.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, I talked to bets a little bit, for those who don't know bets on Twitter or uh, talking Got to it. him a little bit
1: about Xavier McKinney and because he sends out, it's like an inside joke you can't bring up, like outside of Twitter, him. But you yeah, know. I know.
0: I feel like it's true. I feel like that is true. But anyway, I've been talking to him a little bit about Xavier McKinney and what they, some of the content he's been putting out, like on like how he processes and those things. I think that has a ton of value at the safety position. I mean, talked to Ashton Davis recently, and like just guys that really understand like route recognition and that stuff. I think at the safety position, maybe more than others, is super important because if you are going to make those plays on the football, there's a, a, a there's a bait element to it. There's an understanding of what's happening before it happens element to it, because you're at the safety position, especially if you're playing deep safety, um, you're in a position where you can make plays on the football better than other guys like in-man coverage or all, also all those, all those other things. So I don't know. I, I think the safety position like smarts, an underrated or football IQ, an underrated element to the safety's game. All right. That's going to do it for the best player at every position. According to PFF, we also compared that to Dane Brugler. And Daniel Jeremiah, we're going to kick to the interviews next. And I think we're going to wrap there. So I want to say thanks for everyone listening to 2 for one Drafts. If you didn't get your draft guide and left a review before Monday, send me an email at austin.gale at pff.com. I will send you a draft guide before the draft. Starts late April. Also, go to PFF.com and check out our new mock draft simulator. You can go on there Ooh. and run random mock drafts as much as you want. We are very excited about how many people are in love with this thing. It's crashed the servers a handful of times. But, like, the interest is there. Go check it out. Mock draft for every all thirty two teams in the NFL, for all we know. It doesn't really matter. Just go check it out. But a lot of good stuff happening on PFF.com, draft guide, et cetera. So really excited, and uh, well, we'll tune in next week. Joining the 241 Draft podcast is former Minnesota safety Antoine Winfield Jr. Antoine, it's great to have you on. Appreciate you.
2: Thank you. Thanks. For, I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, we talked a little bit before, you know, you joined the podcast. We want to talk about, you know, how this situation is currently affecting you. Obviously, with COVID-19, you're not able to travel like you expected, meet these teams in person like you expected. How has this process been? How different has it been? What are some of the pros, cons of this Zoom, FaceTime environment that we're in right now?
2: Yeah, it's definitely been way different. Um, what we were supposed to do, we we're supposed to have a lot of you know face to face interactions. I'm supposed to be traveling, meeting different teams, DMs in person, but um, since uh, the coronavirus, we're not able to do that, and yeah. so it's just been a lot of FaceTime interviews, um, through Zoom or phone call interviews. So that's pretty much been the only difference,
0: yeah. And with those full face interviews, I talked to some other prospects, they're saying, I mean, it's maybe a little bit easier to be prepared, like when they're asking you like kind of football questions, but like I talked to um. Ashton Davis, the Cal safety. And he said, you know, like I'm already super prepared, like my football IQ, is some of the best or whatever. He's like, I don't need that extra help, whatever it may be. It's interesting. Well, let's get back to your game a little bit, kind of try and move past coronavirus right now. I'm sure it's on top of everyone's mind. And um, but right. move past that and talk specifically about your game. You battled a ton of injuries at Minnesota. I, I guess I really want to hear where are you right now from a health standpoint? How, how tough was that? at Minnesota battling those injuries and just give me your experience with those injuries and where you are right now and the recovery and those things.
2: Yeah, as far as my health right now, I'm 100% good mm-hmm. to go. Um, so starting off uh, my sophomore year, I ended up hurting my hamstring, and that's right when the new redshirt rule had come out where um, you could play like the first four games and then redshirt the rest of the season. So I got hurt right in time. So I was able <laughs> to get that year back. Um, and then the, fi- the following year, I ended up tearing a ligament in my foot called the Liz Frank Ligament. And um, I had to miss the remainder of that year, which I also got another red shirt for. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm a red shirt sophomore. I was classified as one when I was a senior. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, going through that process, it was tough. You know, whenever you get injured, it's always tough. But, you know, I didn't look at it in any negative light. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always pretty much positive throughout um, the entire process. And I kind of directed my energy towards coaching up. Um, the younger players as versus just being by myself. I was coaching them up pretty much letting them know uh, the things that they, that they need to do to become better. Gotcha. So,
0: and you received, them. you received clean medical checks at the combine, right? Or do you have to do more of those now?
2: Oh, no, was good. Nice. The medical Checks were all good.
0: always good. That's always good. Um, I also want to talk about, I think it's elephant in the room. I'm sure you get, this gets brought up a ton when you go on these interviews, but is your dad and the influence he's had on your game. And I think, you know, what stands out really is, is you're a really, really good tackler. You tackle a lot like your dad, and you have these instincts that you've been learning the game since a young age and really understand football. I guess, and I know you've answered this question a ton, I'm sure, but what influence has he had on you? And what do you think, for him, what has he done for you the most? What has he made you better at the most?
2: Yeah, he's been a huge influence. I mean, he put a ball in my hands at an early age, as early as, early as I can remember and, um, you know, just growing up and just watching him and what he did in the league, um, he was always just a person that I could look on as far as getting football advice. You know, he was always there, so I could ask him uh, pretty much about anything. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as football, he started me off young. I was out in the backyard doing uh, – I was backpedaling at a young age, doing footwork at a young age, and he's always been there along the way just helping me get better in any area that I needed help him.
0: Gotcha, man. How much is he helping you in this process? I'm sure the pre-draft process for him was a lot different – than it is right now. Wait. But, you know, what? what is he saying to you in terms of preparing you for these team interviews and that?
2: Yeah, as far as interviews, just to be myself, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm unique just to be myself and uh, try not to be like anybody else. And as far as right now, the only thing we can really do is just do uh, home workouts and, um, you know, just and in FaceTime interviews and things yeah. like that. So It's not really too much I can do right now.
0: Let's get back a little bit to your game here. I think obviously, what stands out with you is the tackling ability and it's the instincts. And a play that comes to mind, I think it's against Fresno State, or it's a red team. I feel like I don't, I don't look at the teams when I'm watching the tape, but I think it's Fresno <laughs> State overtime yep. interception. They interview right after the game, and, and yep. hearing you break down the coverage and what you saw and how you reacted to the play, like that stands out to me. When I am know my co-host Mike Brenner jokes with me saying you love guys that watch the tape and really understand the game, it's like yeah, I do, and I think. That has a ton of value in the NFL, like really understanding coverages, you know, route recognition, pre-snap play recognition. That kind of stuff has a ton of importance. What goes into that? How do you become instinctual? How do you see the play before it's happening? I'm interested to know, like, your process and getting better and becoming so instinctual like you are.
2: Yeah, it's, you no, know, it's just through practice and, film study. you know, studying what our opponents do. Um, you know, it only gives you the upper hand and when you're going against them and being out on the field, you can pick up things faster. And um, as far as that play right there, um, I remember, like, early on in the game, I remember feeling stressed because I was in cover two to my side, and I mm-hmm. remember feeling stressed because they sent, like, uh two verticals to stress me out as yep. the uh, F defender. And um I knew that they were going to come back to it because one of the plays, it was open. And so that's kind of how the instincts come in, um, where you just got to remember plays. You can't just um, forget what happened. You got to remember, it, and you always got to have your thinking cap on because, you know, the offenses are going to come, keep coming back to the same things that are working. So... Yeah, it's all about to just just practice.
0: I want to bring up another specific game as well—the the Penn State game. I mean, you had a fantastic yeah. game in that one. I think multiple interceptions, a handful of which showing off range and those instincts again. Were you just you know were you, was it just a good day for Antoine Winfield that day or what? Because I feel like you really <laughs> balled out there and really showed up. Went against KJ Hamler, one of the better receiver prospects in this class. Talk to me about that game. Obviously, you had been pretty happy coming out of that one.
2: Oh yeah, that was that was a fun game. I think I'll remember that game for the rest of my life. I um, had a great day that day. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it was just exciting to just to be able to make um, uh, some plays that day to help us get that win. You know, I had uh, two interceptions that game, and I can really credit that to film study. That's yeah. just knowing what they do, um, knowing who their targets are going to, knowing who they like to pass to, how their quarterback moves, and how he throws the ball. So I credit that just to uh, a lot of film study.
0: Now Let's get back to film study a bit. You know, in a given game yeah. week, how much film are you watching? And when you are watching film, what are you looking for? Is it Tells like pre-snap tells in formation, alignment, and, and personnel? Or is it more like specific player, opposition scouting, looking at what a specific player you'll be going against does? I'm interested to know like what you're actually looking at and how much film is important in a given game week.
2: Yeah, mainly I look at um, formations and uh, personnel based on what their uh, receivers do or how their quarterback moves. So um, if I know that they have a, a solid re- receiver and he's getting 70% of the targets... If I'm in that post, I'm going to be leaning towards him because I know the ball is going to him 70 percent of the time in different formations. So I'm looking at the whole uh, overall concept of how their offense runs. And then um, after I figure out like what com- concepts they use, like the passing concepts and route concepts, I'm just looking at individual uh, players and seeing how they're running their routes. And that's kind of how you uh, I prepare throughout the week um, as far as watching film.
0: I'm going to shift gears a bit, you went out, went against some great receivers in the Big Ten in your time in Minnesota. But I would say one of the better ones on your football team, and Tyler Johnson, he's the guy that was the highest graded receiver in college football for PFF this yeah. past year, but does not receive the same love from others. Like Tyler Johnson in this draft class, does not get the same praise that, in our opinion, he deserves. And like, I'd be right. interested to know your opinion of Tyler Johnson's game, what you think he brings to the next level, but also your opinion of him as a teammate, because I think yeah. I've seen and heard. From you know some analysts and stuff that he doesn't get this you know the, the recognition maybe or gets yeah. maybe negative reviews from teammates. I, I, I'm interested to know from a teammate perspective what Tyler Johnson <laughs> brings to the table and also his skill set.
2: Man, Tyler is a playmaker, <laughs> <laughs> and he he showed this coming in because we came in together. And um, man, just going up against him pretty much every day in practice, uh, he's a dude. Um, what he brings to the next level is he's just a, a great playmaker, great receiver. He has great hands, uh, great routes. Um, he's a smart player, and he's just a he's just a dude. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of confused because I did like somebody else told me that he was getting like negative reviews, and I'm I don't understand why because uh, he's a guy and he's overall a great dude and a leader on our team. So yeah, I was kind of confused when people are saying that, but he's a dude.
0: I was also confused. I talked to him recently. He was on the podcast as well. And I said, man, what are you seeing? He said he didn't pay attention to that stuff. But I kind of pressed a little bit and said, but you got it. What do you, what do you really think when people say that? And they say they don't know me and that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. I'm blown away by some yeah, of the negative too. feedback he receives. It's interesting. I want to look ahead a little bit to Minnesota Golden Gopher fans. They got some good returning players as well. Tanner Morgan, Rashad Bateman. Speak to those players and what they bring to Minnesota this upcoming year.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, Minnesota is on the rise right now, you know, coming off this year, I believe our program is going to keep elevating and getting better and better. Mm-hmm. And, um, especially the more uh, recruits, the better recruits we're bringing in, um, it's just going to elevate the game. But then you got, uh, Anna Morgan coming back. Uh, he's a great player going up against him every day in practice. You know, we always bicker back and forth when we we're practicing, but, um, he's a, he's a great player. And then you got some offensive weapons. You got Rashad Bateman, you got Mo coming back. Um, the offense is going to be exciting this year. Same with the defense. I'm really excited to see what they do uh, next year.
0: There you go, man. You speak about – you know, you talk about bickering a bit. What is tra- where does trash talk land in your game? Do you use uh, – I know – I talk to a ton of defensive backs, and every time I expect a guy to say, you know, I talk a lot of trash or whatever it is, they always say, ah, oh, sometimes I need to – where's my guy? Where's my dog in this class that's going to come out and just rip receivers to pieces every play? Where are you at with trash talk?
2: Yeah, man, you know it's funny because a lot of people – Um. so – they refer to me as Antoine when I'm off the field and then Tweez when I'm on the field. I guess <laughs> Wait, wait what
0: team. was that?
2: So, so my nickname is Tweez. But okay. when I'm off the field, people, people call me Antoine. When gotcha. I'm on the field, they call me Tweez. That's just like the mode that I'm in, I guess. That's what, that's what people call me. Gotcha. But um, as far as playing, um, you know, I'm always out there having fun. And if I trash talk, I'm trash talking. If, if I'm laughing, I'm laughing. If I'm joking, I'm joking. But I'm out there playing and getting the job done. So um, trash talking just comes just from passion, from mm-hmm. playing the game. And um, you just get that once you're, like, competing against somebody that's good. It, uh, for me, it just kind of just comes out because of all the passion I have from playing the game. So that's just kind of how it works with me. So.
0: Absolutely. I like to see tweeze in the NFL. Um want to also you know, bring up versatility. And I think positional versatility, alignment, and assignment <laughs> versatility in the NFL, the state's position is covered. Like the Derwin James, Jamal Adams of the world that can you – know, you know, pass rush, you know, play coverage, play against the run. For you, uh, projecting a bit as a deep safety, that's where you really had a ton of success at Minnesota. But you know, what role do you see yourself playing in the NFL? Where do you see yourself excelling? Is it this deep safety primary role, or do you want to get in the box? Do you want to kind of bring bring the heat down there?
2: Yeah, I'm willing to do anything. I feel like that's one great thing about me is that I'm versatile. Mm-hmm. Um, you can play me in the box, in the post. Um, you can blitz me. Um, you can sit me in that low hole area, uh, covered slots or number twos or tight ends. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I can be used pretty much anywhere on the field.
0: There you go. All right. Well, let's finish with this, man. I mean, we see you as one of the better safety prospects in this class, but I want to hear from you. This entire process, everyone's telling you what you're going to be at the NFL. This is what his strengths are, his cons, all that stuff. What do you think makes you you know, the, the better safety in this class, one of the best safeties in this class?
2: Yeah, I would say my uh, takeaway ability, um, being able to create takeaways for my team, you know, that ultimately results in wins, mm-hmm. um, being that versatile player that you can use anywhere, um, being a player that can blitz, that can play in the post, um, anywhere that you need to play. Um, I feel like that's the, the piece that I that, that I can contribute to an, another team.
0: Fantastic stuff, man. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. No. Of course, man. Joining the 241 Drafts podcast is former LSU cornerback Christian Fulton. Christian, how are you doing today?
3: No, I'm doing great. Uh, you know, can't complain, you know, just trying to take it day by day with the process.
0: Yeah, and with that process, I know with coronavirus right now, it it's making things difficult to meet with these teams, talk with these teams, doing a lot of FaceTime and Zoom calls, I'm sure. How has that process been? What have you learned from that and what have some of the pain points been?
3: Uh it's been it's been fun, you know, uh you know, just trying to, you know, make it as um uh, in, in home, like, you know, as far as, you know, going to the facility, like as possible, you know, uh, just being able to talk ball with them, uh, and just getting to know each other better. So it's been, it's been fun so far, you know, uh, you know, actually talking to these teams, you know, um, uh, you know, you watch, them, you look at them on TV and then you actually have, you know, just a regular phone conversation with them. It's pretty, it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, man, no, for sure. What what is some of the feedback they've given you in these interviews? Whether it's at the combine or in these interviews, in terms of what they like about your game, where they see you playing in the NFL, and and, and all that.
3: Um, I mean, I think they really, you know, like my overall game. You know, uh, a lot of them see me, you know, playing outside or inside. You know, uh, multiple teams ask me about that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they like my game, like you said. Um, you know, just um, point out you know little things, you know, that I, I can work on, giving me pointers. You know, helping me out. Though know, uh, if I don't go to that specific team, you know, they're still you know always looking to help out. You know, on my game, and uh, you know, I accept that. You
1: know,
0: something in the NFL right now that's really coveted at the cornerback position is scheme versatility, being able to play at the line of scrimmage, away from the line of scrimmage, man zone. Do you see that as a, as a big you know skill set of yours, or something that kind of like makes you you know puts you ahead of these guys in the in this cornerback group? Do you think you have that scheme versatility in the NFL?
3: Uh yes sir, uh definitely, you know, um it's something that I've been doing my whole life, you know, playing multiple, multiple positions, you know, besides college. Uh and you know, I've been really good to show my versatility, you know, in college, you know, 'cause um, you know, you follow and, you know, the number one receiver or the best guy. So you just gotta do what you asked to do. But um definitely, you know, making it uh my point, get my point across, you know, that I can do whatever, you know, they need me to do. Because, you know, I played nickel my whole freshman year. So that could get inside, you know, and make plays there.
0: Yeah, who are some of the tougher receivers you faced in your time at LSU? I mean, playing in the SEC, you go against some of the top comp- competition in college football. Who are some names that come to mind that, that really gave you fits?
3: Um, I mean, I will you know, um, some guys, you know, from Clemson, you know, they were pretty good. Uh, you know, Van Jefferson from Florida, he's good. Um, also, you know, um, there's a lot of receivers. They had a nice receiver at Utah State also. Uh, it was, you know, just like you said, it's every week. It's a weekend we out with me. So, um, you know, those guys, you know, definitely, you know, stood out.
0: What about Jamar Chase? I'm sure you put him up there on the list as well.
3: Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, his play speaks for itself on Saturdays, you know, but it's fun, you know, going against Jamar. Uh, we've been making each other better since, you know, we were almost 10 years old. So it's been fun, you know, competing with him every day. Uh, he definitely gets me better, you know, for sure.
0: How much were you competing with Stingley this past year? I'm sure there had been a competition between you two, trying for pass breakups, for interceptions, limiting receivers. Talk to me about that relationship you had with Derek and how much you guys kind of fueled each other.
3: Uh, you know, Derek fun. You know, uh, he he's quiet a little bit, and then uh, he, well, he's definitely quiet. But you know, it's been a fun year with him. You know, uh, you know, just trying to you know teach him the things that I can. You know, give him as much game as I can. Uh, even though, um, his game speaks for itself, he had it already coming in in college. Uh, um, you know, it's definitely, you know, competitions going on with us, uh, throughout the year. It was fun. He got the interception. One. We had a, uh, an interception that he got down. Uh, even with you know talking, you know, going after the season, you know, we still you know talk about it. You know, and, um, we had a few little bets going on about the combine and stuff like that. So it, it was it was fun.
0: Always good, man. That's, that's that's good to hear. Uh, I want to get back to your game specifically this year. I take you, you know people you look at your 2018 tape had a ton of success in 2018 and in 2019 maintained success there, but. You, you suffered, I think, what was a lower leg injury early in the season. I think it might have been against Texas. How much did that affect your game? And was that, like, not necessarily a problem, but something that kind of inhibited you during the season?
3: Uh, definitely, you know, um, I mean, well, I don't really bring it up or speak on it, but, I mean, I was, like, literally hurt the whole year. Um, <laughs> I, I, I had, had an injury in camp, so I missed most of camp. And when I did come back to camp, I had another ankle injury that came up. So, um I mean, it was just something you know that I had to deal with mentally, you know, and um you know, no regrets, you know, I had to play through those things, but um, I mean, it's part of the game, you know, this is what I signed up for, you know, you might be hurt, but you still can go out that play, and that's what I did this year, you know, um, gave it my best, you know, but that's that's my main thing, you know, this off season, you know it's something I've definitely know take care of your body for sure what were the what was the
0: injury in camp, and were they both ankle injuries, or what were the
3: injuries um just uh had a little hamstring pull, mm-hmm. um, you know, sat out a few few a week or two, then came back, and then that's when I had another ankle injury. Uh you know, I was playing through that and then I had re injured again during Texas. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a, just a year of just nagging injuries. Yeah. So I definitely think, you know, it, it hindered my performance, you know, a bit. That's
0: something you're just gonna have to play with, I guess sometimes the NFL is fighting
3: through that. Sure. Yeah, no um, doubt.
0: You know, I think this entire process, you you have analysts and teams saying what they like about your game, what they don't. I'd love to hear from you what you think makes you a difference maker in this class at the cornerback position, what makes you the best cornerback in this class.
3: Um, Definitely feel I can go, you know, and play against any receiver. Um, You see the list that I've gone against. You can go from speed guys to uh, big guys, you know, to physical guys, uh, guys who can get in and out their breaks. Uh, just going against them, you know, and competing at a high level. Um, I mean, I don't feel like, you know, everybody gets a chance to do that week in and week out. Um, and the film speaks for itself. So, um, like I said, me personally, I know what I can do on the football field. Um, uh, and that's being able to, you know, show versatility, uh, coming, going into the next level, you know, that's going to be my, uh, main thing. Um, and, you know, a lot of guys, you know, talk about maybe the interception production. Well, um, I mean, when you're in man, most of the time, you know, those don't really come too quite easy. Mm-hmm. ability, you know, throwing it maybe twice or three times a game. So, um, I mean, it's all good, though. You know, uh, I feel like uh, the taste speaks for itself. You know, I always feel like there's more work to be done, though, for sure.
0: Well, how much are, in a given game week are you watching film? Is And what does, like, film – how does film play a role in your preparation? Are you watching the receiver you're going to go against, the offense as a whole? I'm interested to know, like, what you look for on film when you're preparing each, for each week.
3: Um. Boat, I would say both. you know, definitely watching or seal, you know, just re- watching releases, that's um, very huge for me and part of my game. I feel like uh, if I win that part, you know, early in the route, uh, I'll be in great position uh, nine times out of ten. So that's big for me. Uh, then you want to watch, you know, just have uh, first, second down, third down, red zone, uh, where they like to take shots at on the field. All that's helpful for me, you know, uh, and that's going to be big at the next level. You know, just trying to uh, always stay ahead of the office, uh, uh Office coordinator, you know that's that's definitely helpful in my game for sure.
0: How about what about uh, talking trash? I feel like I've talked to a bunch of defensive backs in this class, and I, I get some guys who kind of talk trash or stay away from it. Antoine Winfield, the Minnesota safety, he was just recently on the pod and loves to talk trash. You know what I mean, but where are you with talking trash, receivers? Um, all right,
3: so I'm gonna tell you that in practice we talk the most trash. They <laughs> never, want, they never wanted to mic us up so we could, you know, show a little one on ones and stuff like that. So we definitely talk trash. But as far as on Saturdays, you know, not many people come in talking trash to to any of us, really, mm-hmm. uh, especially at receiver. But if uh, if it's definitely a guy, you know, coming, you know, come and want to make an uh, impact, you know, talking trash, I'm definitely going to talk, talk it. But for, if, if he don't come at me, then, you know, I'm just chilling, you know, doing what I got to do.
0: Makes sense, man. Well, I really appreciate your time, and thanks for coming
3: on the podcast. Oh Yes, sir. No, thank you.
0: Joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is former Charlotte Edge defender Alex Highsmith. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Alex, how are
4: you doing? Good. Thank you for having
0: me, Austin. I'm seeing some things with like you you, you know, players talking to coaches through Zoom and Skype and all these video interviews. What's that process been like for you? Has that been a challenge? Has it been something you kind of look forward to? I'm interested to know, like, with this new pre-draft process amid <laughs> the COVID-19 pandemic, how you're being affected and what that process has looked like for you.
4: We know it's definitely different, you know, but it's it's also been, you know, good as well. You know, it's been cool, you know, we have technology, you know, just the ability to be able to FaceTime and do these Zoom calls. So, you know, it's it's been cool. I've been talking with a good amount of teams so far. So, you know, I'm just excited. You know, it's crazy. We're two weeks away now. So I'm just excited, you know, to see where I end up. You know, it's just I'm still doing whatever I can, you know, to stay in shape and do whatever I can, you know, to stay on my grind, keep working on my craft and just really um get ahead during this time. You know, I don't want this to be a time where, you know, I, um, where I you know get behind, I want to be time where I get ahead, get ahead. So um, just, it's been it's been a good time, you know. Just like I said, the all the all the calls have been going well with with all the coaches and uh, teams that I've been talking to.
0: Great, man. and walk me through a little bit of what they ask you. You know what what are they what are they talking to you about? You know what feedback do they give you about your game? What do they ask you about strengths weaknesses? I'd be interested to know like what exactly they're looking to get from an information standpoint
4: from you on these calls. Gotcha. So some teams, um, some teams that I haven't talked with as much, you know, they are still they kind of. Uh, they'll kind of talk um, just like ask ask me personal questions and stuff like that you know questions about me you know my time in Charlotte you know um, about my playing time in Charlotte and just you know about my background and stuff like that and we'll, we'll watch a little We'll watch a little um, film and stuff like that or go over their defensive scheme. And then a good amount of coaches, you know, we've uh, kind of broke down my film, you know, see things that I've done good, see things that I can work on and stuff like that. So it's kind of been a mix of both It just really getting to know me more, just, you know, diving into, um, into the game more. And just some teams, that, like I said, have also talked about their scheme as well. So I've, I've really enjoyed them all.
0: I think, you know, going to the NFL, a lot of people talk about, you know, how much better you can get technically, adding pass rush moves, adding different things at the NFL level. Is that something that you look forward to? And do you think that, it, you know, you just, you haven't even scratched the ceiling in terms of what you can do and how much better you can get with NFL coaching and these guys, you know, at your side?
4: Oh, for sure. You know, I feel like I can get better, you know, every single day. You know, there's no, there'll never be a day where I can't get better. I'll never be perfect at anything. So you am going to strive to get better and better. And that's why, you know, I hope I do go to a team. You know, he's got some – uh, some veteran guys, you know, who've had a lot of experience in the league that I can really, you know, um, you know, go uh, under and just really um, learn a lot from. You know, I, I feel like I'll, I'll definitely be a sponge. You know, I want to just absorb all the information that they tell me and just um, learn from them. So I'm definitely um, definitely learn, uh, looking forward to adding more moves to my arsenal, you know, because, you know, guys in the NFL are bigger and they're they're stronger, more athletic, so I just really got to um, do whatever I can to just uh, fine-tune my techniques and just really come up with more ways to, to beat guys in the NFL. But I'm excited for it, and so, you know, I can't wait to, um, you know, keep, keep uh, improving my game.
0: Well, you had some great coaching this past season. It helped you finish, you know, finish sacks more. I, I know you they brought on a coach recently at Charlotte that really helped you along the way. Can you speak to the influence he had on you and the relationship you had? Uh, I think it was Coach West, am I correct there?
4: Yep, yep. So, absolutely. Coach West. Coach Healy brought in uh, Coach West, Marcus West from Minnesota. Um, he was with—that's uh, where he came this, from this past year. But he was with—he was with Coach Healy at Chattanooga and Austin P before, and so they've had a great relationship. So he brought him in, you know, just thankful that he did, you know. Um, so he—he he brought him—he brought him to me, and you know, just Coach Coach West told me so many things, you know, that I need to fix in, in my game, you know, my pass rush game, and some things that I can improve on. So that he taught me so many new moves and stuff like that as well. And we also played a. A four-two-five, which is a scheme that really gave me a lot of freedom on the outside and a lot of really helped me to just be able to affect the passer, rush the passer uh, from being on the edge in a four-two-five. So I'm just think for him and just everything that he's, he's done for me. is really uh, one of the and one the main reasons you know why I had the production I did last year. So,
0: well, what have teams talked to you about in terms of like alignment and usage at the next level? Do they see you? <clears throat> excuse me. Do they see you as this hand-down edge defender? in a 4-3-4-2 four, four, type of system no one really plays 4-3 anymore it's ever it's always trying to get people out of the box now and play different personnels but what have they talked to you about in terms of how they want to use you at the next level
4: gotcha so uh, most teams i've been talking to right now you know are 3-4 teams so that's what uh, you know most likely gonna be playing um at the next level is that that 3-4 stand up outside backer. you know a couple teams i thought to if uh, they run a 4-3 but you know I feel like either position I'll be good at, but you know, I'm three, four and I, I feel like it really suits my size to be a stand-up guy, to be able to set the edge and rush the pass or dropping the coverage if I need to as well. So I feel like I'm, I can do both. You know, I'm very versatile and that's what I want uh, teams to know about me. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited to you I know, see where I go, but you know, like I said, uh, most of teams I've been talking to, you know, have me like, it will have me like a three, four outside backer.
0: Uh huh. And, and so going back to a little bit at your time at Charlotte, walk me through what you do in a given game week to prepare for an opponent for a team, you know, how much. Film, are you watching? What specifically are you looking for on film? Is that team opponent, or is it opponent scouting, team team offense scouting? I would be interested to know, like, what you look for in a given game week to get better and, and prepare for games.
4: Gotcha. So, um, you know, on on a normal game week, you know, I try to spend you know at least an hour of film on a film, you know, outside of the meet room um, every, every day. So we practice in the morning and then have class, and I come back later. So usually on Mondays, it just kind of um, be when we get we get our scout reports for the team. We played, so really just watch, watch, watch a whole game. Kind of watch their tempo. You know how fast they go. Are they fast tempo team, slow tempo team. Just you know, look at their tendencies. Do they run more? Do they pass more? What do they, what do they do? Just kind of getting the personnel and all the guys. You know, know how big they are they up front? Stuff like that. You know, can they move and stuff like that. So then Tuesday, um, Tuesday's a heavy run day at practice. So I always watch run cut ups on Tuesday. So. Usually just watch, you know, a bunch of uh, run film, just seeing, you know, what, what um, tendencies they give away with that, you know, what formations they run more out of and stuff like that. On uh, Wednesday is more of a pass day, so it's a um, third down day. So I watch a lot of that, you know, I watch, watch passing pass, passing plays, you know, I watch I'll play action plays, third down plays to see, um, you know, what tendencies they have on passing downs and, and passing plays. And um, on Thursday, you know, I'd always go with uh, Coach West. And me and him would always, you know, break down the tackles. We'd always uh, uh, just strictly watch the tackles. You know, watch how they watch. You know how their sets are. You know, are they a spot setter? Are they are they a vertical setter? They got low hands, hot hands. You know, are they they violent with their punch. You know, what, what 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 moves can I use to take advantage of them? So really, I come into the game every game with a plan. Um, you know, certain moves for this tackle and certain moves for that tackle. So I'm um, just really getting a plan before that. And then Friday, I'd just kind of you know wrap it all up in, in the hotel the night before and just kind of um, just really. Uh, kind of look look more on things that I missed earlier in the week and things that I want to um, nail down. So just really kind of getting those final cheat codes to be able to um, you know, make as many plays as I can. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think I want to get more into like the plan, even pre-snap. I've talked to other pass rushers. They say you have to have a pre-snap plan in place, you know, what you're going to attack with from a first move, what you're going to counter with. What's going through your head pre-snap? Are you thinking about those plans? Do you have a move in mind? I'd be interested to know you know what where you are there.
4: Yeah, I definitely do. You know, um, you know, sometimes you know we have different stunts or games that where you know where I'd go inside I'd use the inside moves stuff like that. But you know, if it's just regular passing down, and I'm I'm working the edge. You know, I definitely have a, a move, move that I want to use. Um, I want to have a plan going into it. But, you know, because if you don't, you're just not going to throw anything. It's not going to look too good. So I try to have a plan and a counter as well. Um, so I know if I, if I don't, win with the first move that I can win with the second. So it really is all about having a plan and having a great get off. Um, so probably two of the most important things.
0: All right, I want to finish up with this one. Talk about, talk to me about what you're bringing to the NFL at the next level. I think this entire process, you have people telling you, you know, telling you what you are, your strengths, your weaknesses. I'd love to hear what you bring to the NFL. What makes you a different defender in this class? Well,
4: you know, to, for me to a team, you know, to a locker room, you know, um, I feel like, you know, I'm bringing, 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 I'm bringing a culture builder. You know, that's what I feel like I am. You know, I'm a culture builder and, you know, I'm someone who, um, you know, just really uplifts the culture, you know, who's, who do whatever he can to, uh to help a team, help a team win games, you know, me being a walk-on, I've always had that walk-on mentality and that, that extra chip on my shoulders. So, you know, um, that's really what um, separates me from a lot of guys in this class, you know, that I have an edge, they don't, um, that aspect of my work ethic, you know, just the way that I um, do everything in my life. You know, I do, try to do everything with a uh, uh, passion, enthusiasm, uh, energy, and positivity. You know, Coach Healy preached of that a lot last year. He she came up with a new hashtag um, for, for, for Charlotte football that has those four things in it. But, you know, just really um, bringing – bringing a passion and enthusiasm to, 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 a, to a locker room to a team you know that um, I feel like a lot of guys uh, I feel like I have better than a lot of guys in this draft class you know on the field just you know someone who's going to uh, go balls to the wall every play and just you know uh, have that knack to get to the ball and just do whatever you can you know whether it's sitting the edge or just um, really someone who uh, can really get after the passer and rush the passer so I'm excited to um, you know, rush the passer in the NFL you know I just can't I can't wait for it
0: great man well I really appreciate your time and I wish you the best of luck moving forward
4: of course thank you Austin